Okay, so when you came in, you were already given something that says say no to special session and same-sex marriage. And some of you are wondering, what are, what are we doing? What is this all about? And then you also have uh, two other pieces of paper that has a name and email address. And it's basically to be a part of our newsletter uh, called Looking Ahead so that you can be informed in what's happening, not just about what we're going to talk about tonight, but also uh, with the things that uh, take place here at New Hope Hilo, Hawaii. And then, of course, your uh, regular notes. So you can take notes in here, too. Uh, I would encourage you, if some of you know a family member who is struggling with what we're going to talk about tonight, that you can go on to our website and then go to, a, uh, go to our uh, media section under resources. And then you can also uh, view this service online or if you're going to email it to someone or share it with someone, then they can do that. Uh, they can watch it also if they miss tonight. Now, some people might not be able to be here tonight, and so you want to encourage them uh, to go online and, and take a look at that. So, why are we here? Well, first of all, I, I want us to look at this as our, if there were to be a title tonight, uh, it would basically be a call to heed God's word. Just a call to heed God's word. We've been going through the history and authenticity of the Bible throughout the past couple of months. And so it, it's okay to study the Bible, but it's even more powerful to actually apply the Bible. And that's what we want to do tonight. We want to, everything that we've been learning, we want to put it into application. And I know we have been. But in the past couple of days, it's been uh, pretty interesting uh, some of you have been watching the news and maybe you saw some news clips, but lawmakers are considering a special session for same-sex marriage to become law in Hawaii. And uh, some of you saw the news earlier or read the newspaper or on the internet and, and they said, well, we're going to hold off on this one, but uh, it's not guaranteed that we're not going to have one. So some of you were emailing me and saying, oh, they're not going to have it. Well, it's, it's so much more than just this so-called special session. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And first of all, when you talk about a special session, uh, it, it should raise some, uh, some eyebrows and some thoughts on we have so many issues at hand, uh, and not to say anything bad about our, our education system or our educational system, but we need help there. But there's no special session about that. Uh, we deal with poverty uh, in pockets around our state, but there's no special session for that. We deal, with, uh, we deal with abuse of the elderly, but there's no special session about that or homelessness. And so when it comes to an issue like this and there's a special session, we got to pay attention to what's happening. Otherwise, things will come in and we won't even know what happened. We have overcrowded prisons. There's no special session about, about that. And so I want to start off with reading our first, uh, the First Amendment. And uh, some of you have memorized this. I remember I did memorize this like 30 years ago, maybe even more. But uh, it says this, and it should pop up on our screen. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. You want to remember that or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. 
So when we look at our Constitution and we look at our First Amendment, it's going to address basically our rights and where everything comes from, freedom of speech, freedom to assemble peaceably. And most of all, the first one that our forefathers put, there shall Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. In other words, that's the whole reason why we fleed Great Britain was because the, the law of the state was the church. The church and the state became law. It was one in the same. And so our forefathers said, wait a minute, we cannot have that. We, we need us to be in a free country where we can worship God in freedom and not the state tell us how to worship God or what we need to do because if you go against what the state says when it comes to the law of being the church, then you are breaking the law. And so our forefathers said, wait, we cannot live like that. And so America was birthed. And what a great country we live in. So what I'm about to talk about tonight is not about bashing our, our government at all. We have wonderful leaders who try their very best to make things work well for all people. So I know that's a difficult place to be in. However, there are some leaders that may not be doing the very best thing or making the best decisions. And we can only look in hindsight usually when we figure those things out. But Right now, there's some things that are happening that we need to address quickly. So you might have been watching the news and, and uh, been seeing uh, this thing called uh, this special session to address same-sex marriage. And once this becomes law, it changes everything. Because once it becomes law, you can talk as much as you want. You can give your opinion as much as you want. You can even be a Christian and talk about what you believe. But it doesn't do anything if it becomes law. In other words, what becomes law, you have to obey, otherwise you're penalized. So it's a very critical place that we're in. Now, if you're watching the news, you're going to find that there are 30 churches who actually came out and says, we are in favor of same-sex marriage. We're in favor of it. And they'll say, no, we're speaking on behalf of all the churches. And that's where we came up and said, wait a minute, how, wait, it's not, we're not saying that. But these 30 churches that came up, they said, no, we're, we're going to speak on behalf of all the churches. And so on Monday, we just gathered on Oahu at uh, New Hope Oahu with, with Pastor Wayne Cordero. And a bunch of us, probably about 100 and 150 leaders. Uh, I know Pastor Renee was there with me and, and some others uh, from the Big Island. And our heart was not to go against people or the homosexual uh, group. Our heart was to gather together to let our governor know that we need to slow down on this special session so that all voices can be heard as our constitution says. So that's what we needed to do. And so over 150 of us got together and, and just said, wait a minute, we're, we're part of the church too. So we can't have these 30 churches represent the entire state. This special session is excluding everyone else. It's not in including everyone. It's saying, no, 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 you guys are excluded. We're going we're gonna to take what these 30 churches said because that's a faith-based faith -based community. We're going to listen to them because they represent all the churches. And then these organizational groups that support same-sex marriage. Oh, so the faith-based community supports it too. Okay, we're going to bring it all together and then we're going to have a special session. Well, it looks good on paper, 
but it's not right according to our First Amendment. So that's the whole deal behind slowing this meeting down. And, and even though it's on the news saying that Neil Abercrombie has, has stated we're not going to have this special session now, it doesn't mean it goes away. It's almost like saying, you know, I'm not going to the dentist today because I have a toothache, but I'm going next week Wednesday. So you may feel like, oh, okay, they're not going to have this special session. We can back down. It'll be okay. No, no, you still have a toothache. You still need to go to the dentist. So we do want to slow down and think things through. As we were driving up, I was uh, kind of going over some things, and, and I was reading what one man said. He's the representative of Kailo and Waimanalo, where Heidi's from and where I'm from. And so this raised some eyebrows on me. I, and, and this is what he said, and, and this is Chris Lee, and he's speaking about this issue of same-sex marriage. And he says this, and I quote, I think support from our faith-based community is just the next big push that's going to make something like this happen. There is clear majority in support in the general public right now. Is that true? It's not true. The Supreme Court has ruled, which it has, and it's going to be a boon to our economy. That's Chris Lee, representative of Kailua and Waimanawa on Oahu. And I thought, wait a minute, you're not thinking about the, 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 the ramifications that this law will have on the state of Hawaii? The traditions that we've held, the culture that we have, you're not thinking about the children that are going to grow up after this law is passed? Are, what are you thinking about? Well, he's thinking about our economy. I thought, have we gone that far where we think about our economy more than we do moral values? more than we do the culture that we live in, more than we do our children that are going to grow up. Now this year actually marked the 50th year of the famous speech of Martin Luther King Jr. The I Have a Dream speech. And in April 1963, which was a little over four months before his I Have a Dream speech, he writes this letter on April 16th, 1963, and it says, My dear fellow clergymen, and he writes this, uh, while confined here in the Birmingham City Jail, I came across your recent statement calling my present activities unwise and untimely. Seldom do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas. If I sought to answer all the criticisms that cross my desk, my secretaries would have little time for anything other than such correspondence in the course of the day, and I would have no time for constructive work. But since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill and that your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I want to try to answer your statement in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. I think I should indicate why I am here in Birmingham, since you have been influenced by the view which argues against outsiders coming in. I have the honor of serving as president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, an organization operating in every southern state with headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. We have some 85 affiliated organizations across the South, and one of them is the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. Frequently, we share staff, educational, and financial resources with our affiliates. Several months ago, the affiliate here in Birmingham asked us to be on call to engage in a nonviolent direct action program 
if such were deemed necessary. We readily consented, and when the hour came, we lived up to our promise. So, I, along with several members of my staff, am here because I was invited here. I am here because I have organizational ties here. But more basically, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the prophets of the 8th century B.C. left their villages and carried their, thus saith the Lord, far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns, and just as the apostle Paul left his village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, so am I compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my own hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I did not, I cannot, I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. In other words, what he's saying is when it comes to equality, when it comes to freedoms, you take away one person's right or you give someone their rights, you take away another person's rights. In this case, with this special session, basically what's happening is saying, well, these guys, we're, we're going for their rights because they have rights to speak, but excluding you guys, so you're taking away these guys' rights. Dr. Martin Luther King was so adamant about his stance on equality that he was willing to pay the price for it. And so he believed in it. I wanted to just show this uh, video real quick, and I, then I want to... Uh, continue with uh, the latter portion of his letter. So let's take, let's take a look at this. It's, our, it's a news clip uh, from uh, this past week. So let's take a look at this. There's no longer 30 churches. There are now 50 churches. 50. That's within two days, I believe. 50 churches. So 20 churches just came up and said, you know, we're going to support that too. So this will not go away. Now, you might be thinking, wait, what kind of church is it then? Well, I can tell you this. When Jesus had his vision about the church, the church is his body. You cannot do anything apart from God's word if you're called the church. Because Christ is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So as the body of Christ, if we're not doing what the Bible says, I don't think Jesus considers us a church. Well, how can they be a church then? Well, anyone can be a church. You can start up your own church. You can get your licensing. You can, you can even go online and get a pastoral licensing. Any goof can be a pastor. I know you're thinking about me right now, but that's not what I mean. <laughs> anyone can. And so what these organizations have done is they've formed these churches and says, oh, no, we believe in that too. Now, a, an average person will not know the difference. An average person would say, oh, that's the church. Now, imagine... 30 years from now, when they look back and they say, oh no, there were 150 churches that supported it, so it must be God. They don't know, and the Bible says that they're ignorant, so they're not going to understand, and it's not belittling them, and they're just saying they don't understand because they don't know everything about God. We're still learning about God, and we're doing our very best to follow His Word. 
And so Jesus said, no, no, the body of Christ that goes according with my word, according to my word, and follows me, they're the church, they're the body of Christ, they're the called out ones. What are we called out from? We're called out from the, the, the obedience of God. We're called out from the commandments of God. We're called out from being led by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we're being called out from. We're not just making up something and saying, well, we should just make our own thing and then go for it. No, no. We follow God's word and we follow the spirit of Christ. We follow the Holy Spirit and we trust in our God. He said, justice delayed is justice denied. It sounds so good. Very well packaged. Packaged very well. Very, it's wrapped so well and it, it sounds so good. Justice delayed is justice denied. But that only works if it is obviously justice. Because if it is not obviously justice, then justice delayed is not justice denied. It is called wisdom. That's what it is. How many of us, we wish we had that wisdom from making those decisions that we thought, oh, this justifies my behavior. But then later on, in hindsight, we say, shucks, I should have slowed down in making that decision. Well, that's what wisdom is. And God wants us to have wisdom now, Martin Luther King Jr. continues his letter because we want to know, uh, how do we get here? Well, what, is, what does that look like? What does justice look like? He continues his letter and he says this, How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? It says, A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. So the only way we can differentiate the difference between a, a law that's producing justice or an opinion that is producing justice, it has to coincide with the moral laws of God. That's the only way it will be justice. It cannot be a person's personal opinion. Now, you're going to hear much about this word, equality. That's what you're going to hear in the next couple of months and, and so forth. But the question is, how did we get here? How do, how do we get to this point of now passing this law on same-sex marriage? What's the big issue anyway? So what I'm about to uh, embark on on this next part is, is not about bashing homosexuality or bashing those who are living in that arena, living a homosexual lifestyle or a lesbian lifestyle, if we don't love them, how will they find Christ? So it's not about bashing. It's about really loving and trying to find ways in reaching people. But if we go on the extreme and we say, no, no, they're fine. We, we wanna be, we're going to be passive about it. Then we can never reach them for Christ. It's like saying, oh, well, you know, the poor... The poor people, you know, those who need help, ah, they're fine, they're okay. Well, we'll never reach them if we think they're fine. Well, what about those who struggle with drug abuse? Well, they're fine, they're fine, they're not bothering me. Well, then you'll never reach them if they're fine in your eyes. How many of us, we thought we were fine before we came to know Jesus Christ and someone says, no, you're not. You need help. And for a long time, for many of us, we said, no, 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 no. I don't need God until we found him. And then we said, I wasn't fine. But now you're found. And now God says, it's your turn to love people like how someone loved you to me. So it's not about belittling. It's not about 
it's not about gay bashing. It's not about putting others down. It's really about the rights that are due to us as people of faith to voice our opinion. That's what it's about. So let me just write something down, and, and Pastor Wayne explained this very well, so I just want to steal this from him just a little bit. Uh, we all want equality. Everyone wants equality. And so long ago, and, and homosexuality didn't even start this year. It didn't start when you're growing up and you said, hey, what is this? How come this isn't the news? What, what is going on? It didn't start then. It started way back then. If you read in Genesis, remember Lot, when he went to that city in Sodom and Gomorrah, and then God had to send two angels to rescue Lot because the men of the city wanted to grab him and have their way with him, and, and God sees this as something serious. The Egyptians, Romans. So homosexuality was not something that was just born yesterday. This has been going on for centuries so where, what happened then? How did we get to this point? Well, when, when people tried to reach those who are living this lifestyle, and again, it's not about bashing. It's about really bringing this to light and, and communicating this well, that those who believed that homosexuality was wrong, they voiced it. They said, no, that's wrong. And so they actually did something, and it was the wrong way and so they, they wanted to do something that was right, but they did it the wrong way. And so they, they, they belittled homosexuals. They called them names. They even beat them. They spit on them. They did vile things to them. And so that was classified as gay bashing. And that's what they did. Now, this group would say, wait a minute. We, we have rights. We live here in America, so we have rights. Why are you doing this to us? So we need some rights. And so they said, we want some rights. And so now, here comes the ACLU and says, okay, we can help you with that. And so they got all these organizations together so that they could head toward this thing called equality. Which is where the pendulum would swing midway. And so, okay, equality, that's where we want, equality. And for a little bit, it was, it was doing kind of okay with equality. Then you had Martin Luther King talk about equality, but he talked more on discrimination than anything else. That's what he addressed. So now you have this thing called equality, and that's where we can reach people for Jesus. It's when everyone can understand equality, that, okay, I can, I can now reach people for Jesus Christ. We're not going to reach them this way. This is the wrong method. But now we're here. And so as a pendulum would, it would kind of overswing. And so after a while, they're saying, wait a minute, we want some rights. We don't, we don't just want equality. We want to be protected. And, and maybe it's from a fear of returning back in this direction. Maybe it was uh, the, the, the fear of the unknown about what is this thing called equality. So just by human nature, they said, wait, we want to be protected. Because we know what it was like back here. We want our protection. And so they, they wanted their rights. And so they got their rights. And they said, but uh, we need something more. So we need some kind of financial right. And so we gave them domestic, remember this? Partnership. 
And so we gave them domestic partnerships. But that wasn't enough. And so they said, wait a minute. You guys have, in the church, you have this thing called marriage. So we want to have marriage too. And then the, those who believe in the sanctity of marriage, the word of God, said, no, no, hang on. You're trying to change something that was created by God. This is now something that you're, you're going into changing the very thing that God created. Not just for a man and a woman to have this relationship together, but that's to repopulate the earth. Scientifically, it's proven. Sorry, I just had to say that. So that's the whole reason behind it. Yes, it's a relationship, but it's also to repopulate the earth. He said, yeah, but you guys have marriage. What do we get? Okay, so you don't, okay, I got you. So we passed something in the recent year called civil union. Where you would have the same benefits as a married couple, but you're still not able to marry. Because marriage was created for a man and a woman. But that wasn't enough. And so now it's saying, we want same-sex marriage. That's what we want. And 30 churches, now 50, support that. And now, if this becomes law, even though your conscience would say that's wrong, you have to, by law, behave as if it was right. If not, you'd be penalized, just like any other law. So we may think, no, you know what, let them go because, you know, let them have their way. No, they're not going to bother us. If it becomes law, they're not going to bother us. We still believe in God. He's, he's the ultimate supreme. The problem with this, though, is there are 13 other states that have already put this into law. And so you might think, oh boy, so how is it going for them? Well, in, this, in these 13 states, for those who are in a same-sex marriage relationship, it's going pretty well because they're in that relationship. Now, I'm not saying it's going well as far as they're not being hassled. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I'm not sure. But they're in this now arena where the law has been passed, so they have their rights protected. You and I, if that became law, we can speak out against it. We can say what we want. We can voice our own opinion. But if we push the bar too far or swing that pendulum too far, we will be breaking the law. And you might think, well, how does that affect us then? How, how does that affect anyone? Well, first of all, if you're a Christian, this will affect you. If you're not, it doesn't affect you as much. If you're a non-believer tonight, this might not settle well with you. If you're a Christian right now, there's all kinds of things, you know, turning inside and out of your heart right now. But you may think, well, it's not going to affect me or my family. What's the big deal? Well, let me just read you a couple of things. Attorneys for a Christian wedding photographer say they will appeal a New Mexico court decision that ruled this one woman violated anti-discrimination laws by refusing to photograph a lesbian commitment ceremony. Americans in the marketplace should not be subjected to legal attacks for simply abiding by their beliefs. 
said Jordan Lawrence, an attorney with the Alliance Defense Fund, which is representing this photographer. Now, here's where the controversy began. In 2006, when Elaine uh, Huguenin, co-owner of Elaine Photography, refused to photograph a commitment ceremony for Vanessa Wilcock, uh, Willock and her partner, Huguenin claims her refusal was rooted in her Christian faith that values marriage as a sacred union between one man and one woman. New Mexico law does not recognize same-sex marriages or civil unions for same-sex couples. They don't. But its Human Rights Act requires that places of public accommodation not discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation. She's being sued for $6,600 because her conscience said, I cannot do this. There are other photographers that are willing to do this. But because she said no, she's being sued. Ocean Grove, New Jersey, September 9, 2007. The New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection announced on Monday that it was stripping the Methodist Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association of its tax-exempt status for part of its property. The Methodist camp made the news earlier this year after it refused, for religious reasons, to allow a lesbian couple to hold a civil union ceremony at a pavilion on the camp's property. They own the property now. The pavilion, said Scott Hoffman, the camp's chief administrative officer, said that is, it's a facility we have exclusively used for our camp meeting mission and worship celebrations ever since 1869. They even gave them other areas to do the wedding. But they lost their license. Boston, Massachusetts. Catholic Charities in Boston announced on March 10th that it is getting out of the adoption business over Massachusetts state law requiring that the agency place children with same-sex couples. In a March 10th statement, Cardinal-designate Sean O'Malley, Archbishop of Boston, pointed to the history of Catholic Charities in the United States as an agency exercising constitutionally guaranteed religious freedom that stepped forward to provide placement for orphaned children. Sadly, he said, we have come to a moment when Catholic charities in the Archdiocese for, of Boston must withdraw from the work of adoptions in order, to in order to exercise that religious freedom. He noted, said that Catholic charities will fulfill its contract and their obligations to the state while it prepares to withdraw from adoption services. Now, Governor Mitt Romney lamented the situation, saying, it is a sad day for neglected and abandoned children. So it, it doesn't just affect a Christian's belief or your belief. It affects businesses. It affects campsites. It affects people who want to do great things for God and to help people with adopting children. This last one. A Christian gynecologist at North Coast Women's Care Medical Group in Vista, California, declined to provide in vitro fertilization treatment to a lesbian patient on the grounds that doing so would violate the doctor's religious beliefs. Although the doctor preferred, uh, referred the patient to another partner in her practice who agreed to do the procedure, the patient still sued and won. The judge also, now this is the judge, 
the judge also recommended this doctor to take up another line of work. So it not only affects businesses or campsites or children, it affects your career. It's just that simple. Now, if same-sex marriage becomes a law, everyone has to abide by it if it's in Hawaii. You who live in Hawaii, you have to abide by it. It's now the law. There's nothing else you can do once it becomes law. You can believe it's wrong, but you have to behave as if it's right. So now, if that becomes law, even though we know the Word of God and what it says, sad to say, this law supersedes God's law. Exactly. <laughs> so here's where I want us to shift a little bit, okay? Because you guys are getting mad. So part of it is to stop the special session so that we can discuss the ramifications of it. That's the whole idea. It's not this. It's really to stop the special session, and which it has for now. It's kind of, I look at it as it's on pause. The game is still on. It's just on pause. So it'll be subtle if we're not careful. This past, uh, I think it was, what is it, the 28th? Thousands attended the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, famous speech, I Have a Dream. And it says this, and I read, Tens of thousands of people marched to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial and down the National Mall on Saturday, this is this past Saturday now, commemorating the 50th anniversary of King's famous speech and pledging that his dream includes... Now I want you to go and look up I read his speech word for word and listened to it word for word. And this is what they say. They say that they marched celebrating this famous speech and pledging that his dream includes equalities for gays, Latinos, the poor, and the disabled. Not once, if you listen to his I Have a Dream speech or read it, not once are those words included in it. Equality might be in there, but not gays, Latinos, the poor, and the disabled. I read every single word. It was more about racial discrimination. If you don't, you know, sometimes we don't like history because we like math or art or PE. If you don't know our history, you'll get lost in everything. You'll get lost. I can't believe I'm saying that right now because I hated history. But if we don't know where we came from, and it's honesty, we don't know where we're going. So we got to know our history. So where do we stand then on this? What happens to us? Well, 1 John 5, 2, and 3, it says this. We know we love God. Oh, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now, if this becomes law, we're not able to do this, what we just read. It'll be burdensome if this becomes law. It'll be that burdensome. So what do we do? Well, first of all, what I don't want you to do is develop this hate 
for our leaders and for those who are in our government or develop this hate for those who are, are in this arena. Like I said earlier, keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus loved us while we were living immoral, immoral lives. How many of us said, God, you saved me from junk, and he's still helping us through junk. So we as the church, we can't look at this and say, okay, you guys are wrong, we're right. No, no, no. We all fall short of the glory of God. Every single person. So we don't say, oh, because of you guys, now we have this law. No, no, no. You know where it actually starts? I mean, realistically, this is how real it'll get. It's you and I. Realistically, it's us. The church. Because it was through the church that people would look at and say, okay, we want to find our way back to God. Show us. And we're the ones living a hypocritical life. We're saying, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be living this lifestyle. But we're sleeping together in the same house without being married. Oh, you shouldn't live that kind of lifestyle. What are you doing doing that? But we judge them behind closed doors. Oh, you shouldn't be doing this. Pastors will give counseling and pastors commit adultery. And so the world is looking at the church and saying, wait a minute, you're telling me not to do this, but what are you doing? How often we would read in the news that a, a church breaks down or, or splits apart because something took place in leadership. A pastor went bad. Marriage went bad. Adultery in the church. Fornication. Embezzlement. And so if, if anything, yes, everyone falls short of the glory of God. But if anything, it's not these who need to repent. It's us. Who else are they going to look for to set the example? Why do you think they're still there? They're looking for people who are going to be, who are going to stand up for what God says in a loving way. Stand up for who God is with their integrity, with every word that proceeds out of their mouth, how they treat one another. People are watching. They're watching us all the time. And you may think, well, no watch, no watch. If you lived in darkness, and someone turned on a light, where would your eyes automatically go? Yeah, to the light, automatically. Your body will respond automatically to the light. Now listen, these and us, way back when, before we came to know Christ, all lived in darkness. Someone shined their light of Christ, caught our attention, brought us closer to Jesus Christ. Now he says you're responsible to do the very same thing. Now, I'm not saying that we're the group that actually did this back in 1950 and 40 and 1960. But we're the group responsible for the year 2013. We're responsible for this generation in the movement and the direction that this is heading. It's our responsibility now. So here's some, some action steps that we can take to even voice our opinions. We have some websites and flyers. I know we have some flyers over here uh, that you were given. And again, it's, not, it's, it's really about this session. Now, you can subscribe to our email newsletter. That's what these 
pieces of paper are. And so we can take action on our part to slow this thing down. But on our part, not just the practical steps in slowing this special session down, but on our part, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, the world is going to watch you. If you're not in harmony, they're not even going to come to know God. Because if they're saying, if you can't get it right here, how am I ever going to find Christ in anywhere? So Paul urges the church and says, you must be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And then he continues, uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3, I am writing to God's church. Whose church? God's church. God's church in Corinth. To you who have been called by God to be his holy, own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Second Chronicles seven thirteen through 15, it says, At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to, to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. Then, if my people, whose people? God's people. If my people, if the homosexuals, if my people, if my people, sinners, we're all sinners, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. In other words, what God is saying is sometimes we say, boy, they need to find Jesus. They need to find Christ. They got to repent. And although true, because we all needed to, and we all still need to, the Bible tells us it's not these people that need to humble themselves and pray. It's not those who are on the outside of this belief in Jesus Christ. It is his people that need to humble themselves and pray. If we don't understand who God has called us to be, then all of this is moot. It doesn't make sense. It has no meaning to us. But if you understand who God called you to be, then this impacts every single person sitting here and those in our state. As our children grow up, and if this becomes law, they may come to you one day and say, boy, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to deal with. How do, I, how do I do all of this? Mom, dad, grandpa, grandma. How do I live in this society? Nehemiah 4, 7 through 9. And I'll read different parts of Nehemiah chapter 4. It says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and uh, uh, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed 
that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the, op at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah, who those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So you rally with God, not going against some group of people. Do not be afraid of them. You fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Remember now, God's ways are not our ways. You might think about, okay, I'm going to take this to the death. But God is saying, no, 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 I do things differently. Your way will fail. But my way never fails. And the Bible says, love never fails. One man wrote it this way. He's a pastor on Oahu. He says, Our generation desperately needs bold, biblical, yet gracious and respectful pastors, leaders, and churches to pray up, step up, and speak up with grace and truth, to bless and not blast, to be peacemakers and not troublemakers. We need believers who understand the leadership crossroads at hand and the critical consequence that lie ahead. We need people who will not be swayed by the culture or be afraid of criticism. We need God and each other now more than ever. See, the only way things like this gets fixed is if we have a national revival. The only way we have a national revival is if we have a state revival. And the only way we have a state revival is if those who live in that state revive. Revival doesn't happen as a part of, oh, you're reviving, you're reviving you will know a revival happened later. But until then, you revive you. You get closer to Christ. You buckle down, follow Jesus. No compromises, no justifications. Guys, this is it. This church will look different from this day forward. Mark my words. We will be a light that shines on a hill for all to see so that people can find their way back to Jesus Christ. I thought, if my, and some of you have grandchildren, 
30 years from now, my grandsons, Jaden, Landon, and Oakley, come up to me, and they're in their adult life. And they have their family. And this became law, and they said, Papa, what, what, what did you do back in 2013? It's now, it's now 2043. What did you do 30 years ago? I'll only be 71, so I can still speak. What will I say to them? What will I say? Will I tell them, well, you know, it was kind of tough, but uh, I was kind of passive about it. And, uh, you know, your, your, your Gigi here, uh, she called, she made a difference, but Papa just thought it wouldn't be that bad. It wouldn't be that difficult. And what if our grandchildren would say, you know, Papa, boy, I wish you did something about it because this is hard for us to live with. I want to be able to look at my grandchildren in the eyes and say, I fought for you. I fought for you with everything I had. I wasn't passive about it. I loved people to the very end. I loved people to Jesus. I didn't go out and bash people. I loved them to Christ. I did everything possible because off the record this may become law one day but it won't be because we stood still it won't be because we said I'm, I'm not, I don't have time for this it's not going to be because we said I don't want to make a phone call I'm not going to do 10 emails no way I'm going to do that it's not going to be because we did that it's going to be law because the Bible says it goes from bad to worse in the last days it goes from bad to worse it's not going to get better guys I'm sorry to say the world doesn't get better so if we end with that tonight we leave with depression <laughs> but here's where our faith in Jesus does not disappoint even though the world will not get any better even though the world may look dark there's still hope. There's hope in you that whatever you choose to do from this day forward will be the difference of bringing hope to the world, a dying world. That'll be the difference. That through our examples, through our love for our community, that the world would see that there is hope, there is a God, there is possibilities. There are things that I can still look forward to. And we're going to be the ones that God has called to bring hope into this world. If we buckle under the pressure, what hope will the world have? It's you and I. The power is not in you physically, in you spiritually, it's really Jesus through you. It's I who no longer lives, but Christ in me. Let's be Jesus to the world. Amen. 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 Close your Bibles. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And uh, I don't want you to miss this final part because this part is very important. The Bible says, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city 
set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and then glorify your Father in heaven. I think tonight what would probably be the most powerful thing that you and I can do is humble ourselves before God. Repent of our ways. With repentance comes power. When we ask God to cleanse us and we humble ourselves before him, he says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We need God's grace in order to move in the direction that we need to. So would you pray with me and bow our heads together? Lord, as a church, as those who believe in you, those who are called by your name, it can be so subtle, Lord, that these things come up. It can be so confusing sometimes. But it really comes back to you. That if we want anything done, anything fixed or cleaned up, really it's your people that need to humble themselves because it's when we humble ourselves, that's when you hear from heaven. And you come and you heal our land. You help us with our children. So Lord, help us. We repent, Lord. I know there's, there's probably things that we're going to be doing different. There's some decisions that we need to make as the church, as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as someone who is called by you, that we will no longer stand on the side and, and let our lifestyle dictate what the world will see as a view of who you are, but that we would live humble lives in such a way that people see our good works and glorify you in heaven. Oh, we know we're not perfect. We're far from it. But we'll live for you, Lord. We'll draw close to you.